0: We're back here on all things Bama, powered by BamaCentral.com, and I am here with the director of SI All-American, John Garcia. John, how's it going? I know you've been busy with the early signing day, the early signing period. It's is still is still open right now, but how are, how are you holding up, my man?
1: Doing well. Just made it back down to Florida uh, where it's nice and warm compared to the 19 degrees we had in New York, but uh, it was great to be in studio with the SI crew for the first time like this and uh, yeah I think we got a lot done Uh, and it just makes me excited for for what's to come for for our company.
0: Yeah and I kind of want to ask you about your background a little bit. Um, You've been covering college football recruiting for a while now. Um, Primarily you know if if I'm not mistaken around the southeast and you recently made the move to SI. SI wanted to you know SI, Maven, wanted to jump into this recruiting world and go all in. And listeners, if if you didn't see it, um SI All-American launched on Monday and uh and it, it's been exciting, the SI All-American team was was uh, was announced. And so before we get into that, um John, just kind of talk about your background a little bit and then how you got to SI
1: yeah uh like you said been covering recruiting for almost a decade now uh before that point. Um, obviously went to J school, journalism school uh, at Avery University in Virginia, where I got to continue my football career uh, through college, then went to grad school up uh, at Syracuse University to to go more of the digital route and, and kind of catch up on the new age of of media, which is obviously multimedia. And then, yeah, from then, I, I jumped right, right into writing, uh, sports writing. I was with CBS Sports covering fantasy football and basketball for a year. And then Scout.com hired me. Uh, of course, that was, you know, some of the same leadership that, uh, we're working with now. They hired me to run the Syracuse site. And then uh, a year later, I went down to cover recruiting, uh, for our Alabama site. And I, I was there up until, uh, the merger between, uh, Scout and 24-7 Sports. Where I transitioned to more of a regional role, um, focusing on on college football recruiting in the South, and uh, obviously a lot of overlap there. And then uh, it was time to take the next step, and SI gave me that call, and I'm really excited to be back with this crew. They uh, they have a great vision, and and they they want to push. They want to push for depth and analysis and video, all the things that that I love. I love talent evaluation. You know, um, once I realized I wasn't going to the NFL. I wanted to talk about, you know, those people who, who might have that chance uh, as, as grassroots as possible, and that's kind of the perfect blend of, of what, what this recruiting industry has become and hopefully what we'll be able to provide uh, going forward.
0: And, John, you know, you said you've been covering college football recruiting for a decade now, and, and yesterday we had the early the early national signing day. And for you, you know, what what's the feeling you get every National Signing Day, whether it be the one in December or the more traditional one in February? What's it like for you? Do you feel like a kid on Christmas? I mean, what's, <laughs> kind, of your, what's kind of your emotions like?
1: Yeah, it feels like a game day. Um, you know, it feels like you're about to, you know, go and and put out all the knowledge that you've gathered up, just like, you know, when you're playing a football game. The, the week of game planning, preparation, practice, what have you, leads up to that that all-important game, Um, and there's not a lot of opportunities in football. That's why it's such a great sport. We don't play 162 games like baseball. It's a small schedule, quick and to the point. Either you got it or you don't. And signing day feels like that. It feels like it's a culmination of really, in in a lot of cases, 24 months of hard work because we're covering these classes earlier and earlier. You know, I'm covering kids right now in 2023. (laughs) There's, There's SEC commitments that are freshmen in high school right now and and we're aware of them so for for some of these guys it's 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 one two three years in the making so you, you get excited to cover it but most importantly you get excited for the kids you know they're making these huge decisions for their future and and getting to take the next step uh with their own dreams so it's it's kind of awesome on all fronts um except for the sleep that you get leading up to it but that's that's part of the deal and um you know we slept in today, so it, it all balances out in the end. But signing days, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like the social media flow that day, just the pace. Uh, I mean, we were in the studio for 12 hours yesterday, in and out, and, and it goes by very fast because you're just reacting to something. You're planning these things, and then, boom, routine. Jared flips from LSU to Maryland, and now it's like drop everything. we got to cover this. It's election-style, NFL draft-style coverage, except that it's not – In the NFL draft, when you're covering it, you know, it's organized. There's a pick and a clock, and then you kind of go from there. It's in order. With recruiting, man, it could be five things in five minutes, and you got to just be ready for it. And signing day is really the only thing that can teach you that, Um, and it's one of those things that you just kind of have to experience.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm relatively new still to the recruiting world, and it was my first one with Chris, Christopher Walsh, at, at Bama Central. And, um, you know, yesterday we had our live update thing up and, you know, all day it's just I'm posting an update every basically almost every, you know, ten minutes or so. Um, it, 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 it's 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 And uh, and yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, the breaking news, the crazy news that can happen at any point with our team Jarrett. Um we'll go I'll go ahead and get into that real quick. Um when he when he announced I think it was either Monday or Tuesday, he tweeted out. He was like, Oh, I'm uh I you know, I'm not I'm not signing in December, I'm signing in February I was thinking that was great news for Alabama. I was thinking, you know, maybe that's maybe that's good news for um, for for this class, and um, and then he talked about he kept in some tweets. He, they were like, oh well, you know, you have a teammate who's signing to Georgia, and then he was like, oh well, I can't do it. And then you, we see the bombshell that got dropped: oh, Michael Oxley picked him up, which was a total shock.
1: Right, it's one thing to so you know to plan to sign and then you don't sign, or the opposite, okay, but it's one thing to do all that and then flip. In the process uh, so the timeline was accelerated six weeks and really if we were talking about Rakeem Jarrett flipping like you said Alabama was the first school that we would have talked about and then we would have talked about Tennessee which has always been kind of a favorite of him and then maybe you would have gotten to Maryland so not only was his timeline a surprise given what what he had said but even the destination uh, was a surprise relative to, to any buzz around his name if he were to flip, and that if is is also another layer of this thing. I mean, my gosh, he's a wide receiver committed to LSU. I mean, on the surface, optically, that looks like a no-brainer for a kid in this in this class. Right? Following what LSU's been able to do uh in the last year or so, I mean, they got the Blakenhoff winner on that roster, they got the Heisen winner on that roster, the Coach of the Year, the Assistant Coach of the Year, the SEC Championship, and the number one state in the playoff because of that offense. So. Um, it's just surprising on so many different levels, and that's why that Jarrett move was absolutely the story of signing day to me.
0: And, and let's go ahead and get into the SI All-Americans. And you know, Bryce Young, Alabama signee, now five-star quarterback, number one dual threat, uh, dual threat quarterback in the country. He headlines it on offense. And John, just go ahead and tell tell us how how hard was it putting these guys together, choosing the right guys. Because um, you know you could have picked any other you know five star guy there too. Um, DJ, uh Clemson signee. Uh, uh, I I can't pronounce his last name. I, have I was gonna say, buttons.
1: you should go for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you 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 go all the, I I I, I think. Uh, but um, but yeah. So how hard was it to kind of come up with these guys and you know filling out the, this team?
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was something new for me. You know, I had I'd helped. Um, obviously, I'd, I'd done rankings forever. Um, I'd done you know part of the All American Bowl selection group and, and determining hey should this kid get an invite stuff like that. Camp and combine MVPs, uh, top performers at, at practices and games. I mean that stuff is pretty cut and dry because it's right in front of you. But when you're when you're building an All American team. It's a little different. Um, so my goal was to – I wanted to build an actual team. I wanted to put a group of, of on offense, you know, 11-plus guys because we, we had an extra receiver and an athlete. Uh, so I wanted to build a group of 11 or 12, 13 guys who I thought would go beat any other collection of, of high school players. And, and the way I wanted to do that was, of course, looking at the most talented kids but also the most productive kids, especially as, as seniors. And I think covering Alabama – Really taught me that the senior evaluation is, is so critical because so many of these kids are big names earlier and earlier in their career, like we were just talking about with, with covering multiple classes. So there is a bit of complacency um, in some of these kids just by default because look, they're 16, 17, 18 years old and they're, you know, they're Googleable, if that makes sense. They have profiles and, and adults calling them and adults tweeting them all day, every day. So it's understandable for some of them to to get a little complacent and feel like they've already, they've arrived. Um, So we wanted to find guys who weren't like that. And that's not a knock on those who are, but if this is my team, it's a team that's ready to play a high school game. I wanted a team that's ready to beat the next best collection of of 11 or 12 guys. And uh, that was sort of my criteria. Um, Obviously very talented physically, but also productive um, and and trending up. The kids who got better every year were the type of kids that I really wanted on this roster, which is why it wasn't just the five stars. And I mean, it would be dumb to just say, okay, well, this is the highest rated guy, so let's go here, 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 here. But remember, rankings in an All-American team are two completely different things. Rankings are, you know, a projection for two, three years, sometimes longer depending on the outlet. Um, You know, I know, you know, 24-7 sports and rivals – you know, they project for the NFL, you know, so that's a four-year projection. You know, I was, that that's a ranking. I get it, but that's not what I want to do. We're going to project for college, but for this team, we're talking about guys who are, are there now, physically, uh, productively, all of those things, not the guy who needs to do four or five things to then become uh, an elite prospect. The guys who already have it now are the ones who deserve to be All-Americans. That's why there's – I think there was a couple three-stars on my team, uh, a bunch of four-stars, and, and, of course, some five-stars thrown in. But um, it was about today. It was about the kids who right now could go in on your favorite school's roster and make some plays happen in the next game. Like, if they could magically play in the college football playoffs, Bryce Young would be a factor. Brian Brzee would be a factor. Uh, Malachi Weidman would be a factor. So those are – those are some of the things that I looked at in constructing, you know, a literal team that could go win a game today, not three years from now.
0: Okay, that 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 is some fascinating insights, and um, you know, for our listeners on, on why you did this and didn't just pick the the you know the, the easy ones that would have been easy choices, um, but you thought really highly of uh, a few Alabama guys here. Obviously, Bryce Young, offensive tackle Javon Cohen, athlete Christian Story, and then linebacker Des Moines Kennedy. Um, and, and you know, as we as we about to move into and talk about Alabama's class a little bit, um, you know, John, who who in Alabama's class maybe outside of those out, outside of those guys, um, that you think are maybe maybe kind of under the radar, um, the guys who can get in and maybe contribute early or, you know, maybe have a bigger impact outside of those four FI all Americans?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, obviously when you look at the Alabama roster um uh, quarterback's going to be a, a very big contention point. So I would, I'll would i skip over Bryce Young for now, but I think that will will obviously be uh, a top storyline going into really the next few weeks because he'll be arriving uh, January 5th, I believe. So that'll be interesting. But in terms of the rest of the commitment list, guys that I think can make something happen, I, I like the kid. They're from Oklahoma, Jake McClellan. The running back room should Najee Harris depart for the NFL, it's going to be pretty empty in terms of experience um and i think mcclellan is this new age running back meaning he placed all three downs he can catch passes out of the backfield all the things that that these spread offenses want to do he can run in between the tackles and he could factor in there but he's most dangerous in space and i think of the three running back commitments alabama has uh, mcclellan is the space guy so i think he um he won't get the notoriety because he literally, you know, flipped on signing day. So it's not like, you know, Alabama folks like yourself have been covering him for you know six months or a year or what have you. But I think he's one who who deserves uh, some recognition. I think when you go to the defensive side of the ball, there's so many linebackers you can pick from. I mean, it's the best linebacker class in the country. It's one of the best I've ever seen uh, in terms of uh, a school able to bring in during one cycle. Obviously, I love Demoy Kennedy. who's an SIL American for me, but I think you can go beyond that that group or beyond him uh, on the SIL American list and find two or three linebackers who could potentially factor in immediately. Uh, Quandarius Robinson has so many great traits. He is known as a long and lean pass rusher, but he is really good in space. He's a guy who um, who can drop into coverage. He can run with a tight end. He's 4'6 on the laser, um, and he is the 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 ideal candidate to say, man, I want to see what that kid can do in, in an SEC weight room, you know, after six months, you know, that's that's where Quandarius really becomes uh, one of the the headliners of this class. But again, banged up a lot as a senior, we didn't get to see a lot of him uh, this mm-hmm. fall, you know, so so there's still some unknown there uh, for Q. So he's one that I'm really interested in. Chris Braswell, in that same light, I think as a pass rusher. Uh, more curious to see if he can drop into coverage and play, you know, all three downs and you know factor in against the run. I think that's where he needs to improve. But but the guy who who had the best senior year and was a candidate for the SI All American team was actually a big victory for Alabama holding on to him yesterday. It was Tim Smith coming out of Sebastian River in Florida. I think um, if you just put the senior years together, he had a top 15 senior year of, of men, maybe any defensive process in the country. The only problem for him in terms of making the SIL All-American team is that this is an amazing D-line class, and it's full of guys who, are, who all feel like they could be the number one pick in the draft one day with Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy, DeMonte Hart, Gervon Dexter going to the Florida Gators. Um, it was kind of just one of those things where, man, he's, he's probably a top 10 defensive tackle, but all those guys in front of him are bona fide class headliners. It reminds me of that year at running back where I think it was like Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, um, maybe Fournette, uh, Royce Williams, or Royce Freeman, I should say. It was like that. We had at Scout at the time, we had like eight five-star running backs. I think Dalvin Cook was in that group. Uh, it was ridiculous. So it was like, yeah, you're the number seven running back, but the guys who are all ahead of you are all would all be the number one running back any other cycle. Um, so I think Tim Smith has that kind of senior year. Disruptive defensive lineman can play the run or the pass. Um, athletic, too. I um, mean, he's another one that, you know, you just don't know what he's going to be um, once he actually gets into the strength and conditioning program and all of that. So defensively, that, that's where I go. I go Smith uh Quandarius Robinson and Braswell. Um I wanted to go somewhere in the secondary, but um I just don't know who the top true cover guy is gonna be from that group. They all they're all long and lean and athletic, but I just don't know who the top cover guy is going to be. But but whoever that emerges whoever emerges from that group um I think has a chance to play day one because the secondary is going to have turnover um this year and especially uh the year after.
0: Yeah, it definitely is with the departures of Trayvon Diggs, Jared Maiden. But um, but yeah, and another. I mean, you talk about a secondary. There's a guy already who, who who practiced today in the bowl practice, and that's Jacquez Robinson. Um, he's already in Tuscaloosa, already practicing with the team, already getting some reps. Uh, but a, but a guy, I, you know, John, that I kind of think maybe maybe under the radar, but he had a really great senior season. Is Jackson Breton? I mean, he had over 120 tackles. Um, he was just you know swarming to the ball wherever it was, and I I, I thought you know I think he's a phenomenal kid too.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and some, some of these kids who emerge early, there's almost like, there's almost an over-scouting that happens. Um, I remember with Minka Fitzpatrick coming out of high school, we'd seen him so much because he was a a starter as a freshman up in Jersey. And he was already at these camps. He was already, you know, five eleven, six foot as, as a young guy. So we started like almost poking holes in his game too early because we just saw him so much. It was almost like overexposure. So, at the final ranking, there at Scout, you know, he was on the bubble for five star status, which sounds crazy right now. To I'm sure to you and, and the listeners, but he was on the bubble. We were we were still a little unsure if he was a pure corner and he could he could sit there and handle things man to man in the SEC. Obviously, that answer was was a resounding yes. He was so good that he moved to safety and did all these other things. But at the time, we had seen so many reps of the kid. Where we kind of we kind of just saw too much, um, and I think that's becoming more of a thing in in scouting, right? It's the sexier thing is to to jump on and, and highly rate the kid who who comes out of nowhere at the end, right? The kid who just emerges all in one shot, like a Henry Ruggs, or like in this class Arian Smith that's from Florida, who's now going to Georgia. Um, the kid who in the last six months you know forces you to rank him high it's just funner to cover that guy because you've covered this other kid for four years. So you kind of start to poke holes uh, in his game, just maybe a little too much. Um, And it's just, you know, we're human, so that it's part of it. But I think that's what the case is with Jackson Bratton. Um, Three- or four-year starter at a big-time school in Alabama, commits to Alabama super early. So we're already looking at this kid over two or three or four years, and then you're starting to wonder, okay, well, yeah, he's so good at – Uh, going sideline to sideline, playing downhill. He's a great point-of-contact guy. But then you start to say, man, you know, I don't see him rushing the passer as much, or I don't see him covering as much. And and you just – it's like over time you you look at him a little too much, and maybe that causes not fatigue, but just a a little more resistance compared to the guy who shoots up there um, at the very end. I mean, just look in state. You know, how much more buzz than – did Des Moines Kennedy and Quandarius Robinson get than Bratton, even though they were both injured for a good chunk of their senior year. Um, it's kind of crazy to think about, but that's what it, that's what it was. I think uh, Des Moines Kennedy had a shoulder issue, so his his defensive work was limited, and they used him on offense a lot. So we didn't see as much tape as a senior, but his overall game uh, was, was still very impressive. Um, just not a lot on defense. And then Quandarius missed a tournament of his senior year, but yeah, then Jack Bratton's just there, hundred and twenty tackles, just productive as ever. Um, so I, I just I think that's all part of it. Uh and I agree with you. He's he's a kid who's physically SEC ready. He's a big kid. If anyone's seen him in person, he's legit six two and a half, six three, two hundred and twenty five pounds, but he's a big kid. He looks ready to go right
0: now. Oh definitely. Uh, in
1: terms of playing SEC ball. And that's that's a big deal too.
0: And then there's also another guy on offense that I do want to talk about for a second, and that's Tyu Jones Bell. Um, just to see, he he joins you know the list of Alabama receivers now who are from the South Florida area like Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy. Um, w- w- what have you what have you seen from his game and what does he bring to the table for for Alabama?
1: I'm a big fan of of Ty U. Um I actually grew up ten minutes from his high school uh, down there in Miami. He um, he is a power route runner. Uh, low center of gravity, kind of built like a running back, you know, five ten, five eleven, 5'11", um, closer to one ninety or so. Uh, he just he's filled out already, which you don't typically see from a wide receiver. Um, uh, but he uses that power to execute his routes just like the guys you just mentioned, what are, what do they have in common? The route running is just at a different level coming out of a battle compared to the uh, other guy. Um He's uh, like, so I mean, closer to that than, let's say, a Henry Ruggs coming out of high school, who was just this raw, explosive torque athlete uh, who needed to learn all of that. So he, he is a very polished receiver uh, and probably top two or three most polished in the floor at that position. Uh, um the power route runner, That like said, maybe after he gets his hands on it, he can do some damage as well. Good speed, uh, a lot of deep balls in the last two years. I think he had 17. as a junior. Not sure how many he had. Um, he was out But I think Jones Bell has a lot of raw traits that can translate immediately. And, and we've seen in years past, wide receiver, one of the more consistent positions, where freshmen can come in and make an immediate impact. It's just, it's for one reason or another, it's just a little bit easier uh, to transition from high school to college ball, uh, probably because of the nature of spread football. You're playing four or five receivers at a time and rotating, not to mention all the rules that are aiding the offense against defensive backs who want to be physical and, and stress you, you know, um, stress you a lot compared to high school where uh, where you're just the best player on the field. You know, typically you see a freshman receiver, you want to, kind of go beat him up a little bit at the line of scrimmage and play physical with him. But now there's so many rules against that, uh, enforcing that and intimidating that uh, it's just that much more free reign for wide receivers. So I think Jones Bell uh, is absolutely a guy who can play sooner rather than later.
0: And, and part of that, when you were speaking there, John, we kind of got you cutting in and out. There was kind of some bad service there for a second. But uh, listeners, he was he, he basically was talking about his size, 5'11", um, and talking about how physical he is off the line of scrimmage and talks about his route running, how it's very similar to those other guys that I named earlier, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy. Um, but don't worry, Alabama fans. Um, you know, the, the the growing crop of, of great wide receivers is coming up. Um, obviously, you have Tyu Jones-Bell, and you have uh, Treshawn Holden as well, too. So, But also another guy on the offense, um, as well, John, you talked to him last week. I, I did a story on him on Monday that was kind of, you know, talking about his early arri- – you know, his arrival, you know, how he's, how he's ready to get to work, and that's on Cohen. Um, you know, his battle – his recruiting battle is so interesting to me. Um, you know, first sure. it was South Carolina, yeah. then it was Auburn, then then he flipped Alabama. And, you know, talking to him um, and, you know, trying to understand everything that happened, um, you know, I, I think this, this guy – um you're going to look at him and i think he's going to be, you know, kind of like a Cam Robinson type guy in the end. I I think um you know, he's so he's just so aggressive and so gritty and so physical um and i think i think he said it before too like he he's got a he just feels like he's got an edge on him, you know, he's got an edge. He's got a chip on his shoulder his shoulder every single game. Um i really like this kid, but it was more of the intriguing battles in state.
1: Yeah, um it was a war. <laughs> it was a war. For javier Cohen, um, when, when you're when you're the top tackle in the state of Alabama in a year where both Alabama and Auburn need tackles, it's going to be a war, uh, and it was for him. And I think
0: his his
1: progression also made it worse. So not only was he you know two years ago already for us considered boom, this is the top offensive tackle in the state, but then he just kept getting better. Um, There's there's nobody on that SI All-American team that got better sophomore year to junior year to senior year like Cohen did. Um, And not only did he get better, but he got bigger. The knock on him early was, yeah, he's got long arms and he's really athletic, but he's like 250 pounds. Can Can he hold 300 pounds? Well, two years later, he's like 297. And he's still moving like he's 250 with that edge and grit and length and athleticism that everybody wants on the old line. So, um, and not to mention you know, anchoring the, the top, really the top team in Alabama's line the last two years too. So, um, left tackle, he pulled I and mean, he does everything. You know? So, he needs to clean up some things and polish up, which is I think you know what Kyle Flood is is going to be tasked with with him. But um, my point is that the reason it was a war was pretty clear. I mean, this is the best tackle to come through Alabama in the last couple of cycles. So, um, but yeah, intriguing is, is one word for it. Like you said, committed to South Carolina. Uh, and then once Auburn started pushing, you just knew he wasn't going to end up at South Carolina. And then once Alabama came in, I mean, that day they offered, he said it was the greatest day of his life to me. And uh, at that point you kind of said, okay, this, this might be a thing going forward. And then once, you know, once the season ended uh, for for Central Phoenix City uh, earlier this month, first week of this month, um, it was really a war. Uh, he visited both schools. Uh, he hosted both coaching staffs back and forth. They went. Um, rumors about his status started popping up, and it, it got a little crazy uh, for Javian. And you know, regardless of what was true and what wasn't. He still he has more of that edge in in, in regards in relation to Auburn. So um, he called it D Day, you know, the Iron Bowl next year. That's those were his words to me. Um, so yeah, yeah he, he out, said check, the, he said
0: the same thing to me.
1: Yeah, check, check out that interview. That's All America. He joined us a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, he's he's thinking about that right now. I mean, that's next November. Most most Americans are thinking about this election in November. Like, no, he's thinking about Auburn. So. Um, I, I think that's, that's the type of kid he is, though. He's a hungry kid who puts himself out there, and and he's going to go for it and, and swing high one way or the other. He's an emotional guy, and I think for, for that position, that could be a really good thing if you harness it the right way. So you'd rather have to slow a guy down than to speed him up, right? If you're a coach, you'd rather have to say, okay, well, maybe maybe not this aggressive every play than trying to get a kid to become aggressive. So. I think the tools are there for Cohen, uh, to be a really great player. Um, I like the Cam Robinson comp. He is, he is sort of that long. He may be more athletic than Cam, but Cam is a little bit bit thicker, Cam is a little bit thicker and probably a little better at the point of attack, but, um, Cohen's just now grown in his body. So that's, that's going to be interesting. You know, you got to track going forward and, and you you can't help but to root for kids like that, honestly, you know, um, Tough home life, uh, crazy recruitment. You know, a lot of adults saying bad things to him socially, which is you know ridiculous. Um, so you kind of root for kids like that, um, and that's you know that's a fun part of this business is just kind of seeing how kids respond to, to to really you know unexpected adversity.
0: Yeah, and his and his recruitment really. You know, if you look at the the Twitter, the social media, the Instagram, I just you know it. To me, you know, as you know, both guys, both of us now in the, you know, you've been doing this for ten years now. I'm, I'm getting my way in there and in the media. I just, I just want to tell listeners, hey, if there's a guy who doesn't commit to Bama, um, please, 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 do not tweet at him what he should have done. Um, and I, and I think with Javian's situation, you talked to him, and one of his big motivating things is, hey, there's people who are doubting me. Hey, there's people who are hating on me. And it was, it, you're right. Ridiculous is a great word for it because that's what it was. Um, people just chirping at him. Um, I, you know what? When I talked to him, I was, I, it, I, I told him I, I felt bad because I'm like, what seventeen year old wants to get berated by opposing fans?
1: Right. Right. Most adults can't handle that, right? Let's be honest. Uh, so yeah, imagine being in high school and, and you're waking up to grown men telling you that you're an idiot and you're, you know, cursing at you and all this stuff. I mean, regardless, of, yeah, he didn't break the law or anything. He's not, he's you know, not a, a bad human. Uh, so he just kid who changed his mind. Uh, how many times do you
0: change your mind when you're a teenager, right? It just uh, means more, John. That's the slogan down here in the know, yeah, I mean,
1: It just means yeah, more. Yeah, it just means more idiots, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's actually, it's actually a recruiting violation. Any, any person who's spent a dollar at an SEC stadium for one school communicating with a prospective athlete of that school, technically committing a, a violation. So if you're that much of a, a fan of any school to where you're going to tweet a kid and you spent money supporting that university, you're technically hurting your team. Um, of course, uh, you know that's that's beside the point, but it just it makes it that much
0: more ironic. These are the facts. Uh, but also, John, you know, you came out, you updated your rankings after the national signing day yesterday, um, and you had Alabama at number two. I, I think right now the consensus is is that Alabama's class has fallen right behind Clemson, and I, I think you know Clemson's class is just so. Like it's just so like not I wouldn't say top heavy. It's just like they've got so many just five stars like guys like superstars at every like you know at every position and it's just it's crazy. Um, and yeah, I mean you, you would expect that coming off of a national championship year, they're back in the playoff, and this is what you're gonna kind of get. But um, overall, you know, how would you grade Alabama's class? You know, I know you have it at two, but how would you grade it?
1: I think it's really good, probably an A minus. Um, I think the only way it could have been better. Well, first of all, it was probably a B-minus, almost C for Alabama standards before getting Bryce Young. Um, and I don't say that just because Bryce is a very good quarterback. I say that because they seemingly struggled at that position in this cycle. It worked out in the end, uh, but when when Bryce Young was, was a USC verbal uh, in the spring and, and you just kind of looked at Alabama's quarterback recruiting and, and saw a lot of their targets coming off the board into the summer, and you're kind of like, you know, you need a quarterback. You need a leader in this class. Um, and, and I think everything changed once once Bryce Young came on board. Uh, and you held on to some big commitments who other schools were looking at. So I think that puts you in the A range uh, if you're Alabama. Uh, but I think the only thing that could have made it better is, is hitting on a big fish up front. I think the defensive line – is still a need, and there were a lot of top prospects available in this class. I mean, this is a D-line. This class is D-line heaven. Um I just told you this amazing run that Tim Smith went on, and he really wasn't going to make the first team all south American because that's how good the D-line group is. Um, I got four or five, six D-linemen who I would love to put in there, um, but it's just the top group is that good, and Bama couldn't capitalize on that group, uh, whether it's Brian Brzee, or Miles Murphy, uh Jordan Birch yesterday going going to South Carolina, which is another, you know, big surprise to me on signing day. Um, there was a lot of big fish up front and, and I don't think Dama got that first tier. Now they did really well in the second tier and, and they may factor in from McKinley Jackson who's another one who's had a great senior year. But I just think there was a little bit missing there um at defensive line. And then I think wide receiver too. I I'm, I'm surprised that the group is smaller. Uh, they were in it for Arian Smith. They were in it for E. J. Williams. They're they're still technically in it for Xavier Henderson, although I think Clemson is probably where he ends up, uh, if not Florida. So I, I think they're missing on um positions where they they probably should. Um they're gonna they're still gonna get guys. You mentioned Holden and, and Jones Bell, those are good players. I'm a really big fan of Jones Bell. Holden is a bigger, more raw receiver. Uh, Javon Baker, if, if he qualifies, I think is, is a guy who is a slot who can play immediately just because he's polished, even though he's not particularly explosive. But uh, another good position this year, and with wide receiver, and I think Bama underwhelmed given given the blank slate at that position. So D-line and wide receiver I think were, were some – you know, not misses, but just maybe a little less than I expected. And that's why it's an A minus and not an A. Um, but, but like you said, Private Clemson's class, it, it's just, it's in its own stratosphere. its It's got everything you could basically ever want. And it's the first time that Clemson, they, they started flipping kids. Um, they've gone into territories where it was impossible to recruit and landed guys. I think 12 states are represented in their. 23- or 24-man class. I mean, Clemson has gone full national, like you said, uh, as you would expect after a title. So um, they just kind of if you would have built a dream class for Clemson preseason uh, or pre-cycle, their class would almost be that hypothetical class. And that just just doesn't happen in recruiting. Um, and, and I think that's its a historical class not only for Clemson and their best class ever, but it might be one of the best classes ever, period, for any team. So it's, when you're dealing with something like that, it's hard to get to number one. And I think for Alabama, um, you got about as close as you could at this point. And, and there's still some some room to, to improve the class in the next, you know, six weeks or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you as we begin to land this thing. Um, you mentioned one of the other big fish still out there. He's signing in February, M- Mississippi number one player, McKinley Jackson. The SEC, the entire SEC West, uh, maybe minus the exception of Arkansas, and uh, and but they're, they they seem to be all in on this guy. Um, they, every team seems to want this kid. Um, I talked to you know I mentioned earlier talking to Javon and one of the guys in the Mississippi all, all Alabama All Star game. The MVP was McKinley Jackson, and uh, and you know Javon you know was was hoping and I put that in the story about him hoping that McKinley comes to Alabama. Do you do you kind of have an early prediction on that, um, John?
1: Hell no. He's, <laughs> he's all over the place because, like you said, the whole West is in on him. And and what we've seen with kids who who don't sign in December, if they're very good, they get recruited like they're the number one player in the country. Um, and McKinley Jackson is going to feel that. We saw with Ishmael Swapshaw last year for Alabama. He's going to get recruited like that. So A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, they're all Mississippi State. They're all gonna clamor for this kid. It's like I said, this class is D-line heaven. But uh, most of those D linemen signed yesterday. So um, when you have a big fish like that still out there uh, in that conversation, it's all hands on deck to try to go get them. So uh, I think uh, I think Alabama, LSU, and Ole Miss are probably in the best position. But he's gonna take trips to most of these. I know A and M's getting one. And and he was tight with Matt Luke. Um, he was tight with Matt Luke at Ole Miss and now he's at Georgia, you know, so I think that could be an interesting wrinkle. If if there's an SEC E school in it, it'll be the Bulldogs, um, depending on, on what their board looks like. So uh that's just too many teams to make a prediction on for me. Um I think Alabama needs him as much as they need have needed any position. Like I said, you know, up front, you know, it was it was a little underwhelming just given the expectation. In at Alabama, um, if you can if you compare Tim Smith with McKinley Jackson at defensive tackle, that's about as good as you could have hoped for beyond basically the Clemson group. Uh, so, so that's that's something that I would I would consider a must have for Alabama down the stretch, and that's really that and 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 you know just making sure that the guys who didn't sign you know get in. Um, See what happens. What happens from there? Um, because I, I still think there's the potential for movement. Uh, did Jason Jones sign? I don't think he did. Right?
0: He he, he did not sign. Um, he's yeah. he's waiting until February now. I know the Al- I mean, there's there's a chance the Alabama staff wants him to switch over to offensive line, which he does not want to do. No,
1: he hates playing on line, and I I talked to him about it two years ago and said, Hey, this is going to come up, so you don't have to give me an answer, but just be prepared because you're six six three twenty. Uh, it's just going to come up. And he was just like, oh, no, I'm starting as a D tackle at Alabama, game one of my freshman year. And I'm like, that's really ambitious and great, uh, but it's going to be a thing. Uh, people are going to want you to play offense. And I just think I, I'm with those people. You, just, you watch the kid, and, and it's 2019, man. It's it's just a different era. You know, 10, 15 years ago, yeah, he probably could have went and, and and accomplish that goal at Alabama, like Mount Cody. Yes, absolutely. But it's 2019. It's, it's about space and athleticism. So the, those 330-pound D tackles are few and far in between, even in the SEC. Um, basically, every good defensive tackle in the SEC was a defensive end in high school who just grew. You know, so it's just a different area. You have to pressure the passer. And if you're not one of those quick, twitchy guys who can do so, um, even if you're heavier, uh, it's just hard. It's hard to see the field on three downs. You, you're going to be subbed out. Um, so the value for those guys is, is is on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah, I I still think this. I mean, this is just me. this is just speculation and from a conversation with him. You know, I. You know, I personally I don't I don't I don't know if he stays in this class at all. Um, but I think Georgia Tech, you know, they had an in-home visit. They're still, they're still, you know, right there too. Um, so he'll definitely be something, somebody to watch moving forward in February. Another guy, another position. I, I don't think we touched on was tight end for Alabama. They got Caden Caden Clark out of Ohio, um, but you know they obviously missed out on the biggest one, which was Eric Gilbert from Marietta. And then you know there's there's Darnell Washington, who's announcing in, a, in roughly two weeks right now from this time. Um, but do you think Georgia – Georgia seems to be kind of the leader right now a little bit. Um, John, ha, where do you see him? I mean, he had he was tweeting out different things. Oh, I'm signing, at, um, signing on – I'm day in December. Oh, I'm not doing that. You know, he's kind of been all over the place as well. Where do you see it like Darnell going?
1: Yeah, I think if he signed yesterday, it would have been Georgia. Um, so, I think that's good news for Alabama and Miami, schools that are, are chasing his his commitment. Um but, you know, every year with these All-American games, there are kids who sign silently and they just announce their commitment at the game, but the LOI is in. And I'm not saying Darnell did that, but I i don't know if he did it. Uh, so it's possible. and It's something that he obviously was considering if he was talking about potentially signing and ending the process during the early signing period, which, like you said, still has another 24 hours or so in it. So – I think that makes it really interesting. I don't think it's as simple as, well, if he signs in December, it's Georgia, and if he doesn't sign in December, it's Miami or Bama. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's a little bit deeper with Darnell, but um, he's like you said, he's announcing in two and a half weeks, and at this point, you can't really do much in between now and then. Can't visit. It's a dead period. It's the holidays. Um, he can't really make a visit, he can't really uh, do much of anything recruiting-wise other than, you know, continue to have conversations with the coaching staff, which is great, but what would change between now and then for p- plus or minus for a school like Georgia or Alabama or Miami? So uh, until until anything tangibly happens with that, I would have to think that uh, it's going to be Georgia at this point. But like you said, it's a need. It's a need for Alabama. Um, they missed big on Gilbert. Uh, that was – and we all thought he was going there. Um, I'm, I was in touch with uh, the LSU coaching staff, and they didn't expect him that day, you know. So um, Bama was going to be done with the tight end position at that point, but obviously uh, it didn't work out. So uh, he's a big fish still out there that, that Bama needs to to see where they stand at. And, you know, in a dream scenario, you get you get Washington and you get McKinley Jackson and maybe another receiver, and now all of a sudden you got an argument against that Clemson class. But I just um, – I think that that is a dream scenario that um, that may uh, not come to reality.
0: Yeah, I think Crimson Tide fans, you know, this season obviously, you know, Miller Forstall's injury hurt Alabama, um, but they didn't have that OJ Howard, that Irv Smith, that guy who you know who who can could, who could make just an athletic play maybe in the red zone, kind of a matchup nightmare a little bit. Um, but Darnell Washington could be that guy, and I know a lot of Crimson Tide fans are you know are still trying to hold out hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, man, as we learned yesterday with Burt and Rakeem Jarrett and Romello Height and about 20 guys who flipped or changed their minds, you never know until that LOI comes in. You never, ever know. So uh, you got to keep pushing for it. Bama's come out on the plus side of that a million times in the last, you know, decade. So you got to keep pushing for it. So it's one of those where, yeah, you feel it's one school right now, but, yeah, you just never know. Yeah, there was a tweet
0: yesterday that said, you know, a year ago at this time, or, you know, it was Drew Sanders. It was, uh, Jason McClellan, who was Oklahoma's two tops, uh, commit. And then Des Moines Kennedy at the same time was a commit to Auburn. And all three of them are now signees at the university of Alabama.
1: Yeah. It, like it's recruiting, man. It's crazy. That's why there's so much buzz, you know, with recruiting. It's why we have jobs. It's just, it's a crazy business. People People love their college football, and people love their drama, right? I mean, let's let's, let's be honest, you know. And, and recruiting gives you the perfect blend of of football and drama, and it's tied to your you know your passion, your school, the school you went to, or the school you up rooting for. You know, it's it's kind of a beautiful mesh of Americana, um, and and I'm I'm really thankful for it. But it's it does get dramatic, it does get a little crazy, so uh, you just never know. Awesome.
0: Well, John, thank you so much for coming on and just maybe, you know, giving us a little early signing date recap um, on Alabama's class and then some other storylines. Um, I could talk to you for hours, man.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it, Tyler. Yeah. Great work with you these last few days. Is, I mean, the site's like four days old, so it's, it's kind of crazy, but I really appreciate uh, your contributions, siallamerican.com. For those who don't know, uh, all social media too, siallamerican. And uh, yeah, let's, let's grow this thing and let's, uh, Let's go deep, right? You know, this is a deep podcast. We got to go in depth. Let's keep doing that. That's that's kind of my vision. That's our vision. Um at SR All American and I think it'll be uh it'll be fun. Awesome. Thank you again, John. Anytime, Tyler.